Chapter Number Six of The Lone Wolf. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Lone Wolf by Louis Joseph Vance. Chapter Six: The Pack Gives Tongue. Lanyard's first destination was that convenient little rue de chasse apartment near the Tocadero, at the junction of the Rue Roger and the Avenue de l'Alma. But his way thither was so roundabout that the best part of an hour was required for what might have been less than a twenty-minute taxicab course direct from Troyon's. It was past one when he arrived, afoot, at the corner. Not that he grudged the time, for in Lanyard's esteem, Bourke's epigram had come to have weight and force of an axiom, the more trouble you make for yourself, the less the good public will make for you. Paradoxically, he hadn't the least intention of attempting to deceive anybody as to his permanent address in Paris, where Michael Lanyard, connoisseur of fine paintings, was a figure too conspicuous to permit his making a secret of his residence. De Morbihan, moreover, through recognizing him at Troyon's, had rendered it impossible for Lanyard to adopt a nom de guerre there, even had he thought the ruse advisable. But he had certain businesses to attend to before dawn, affairs demanding privacy, and while by no means sure he was followed, one can seldom be sure of anything, especially in Paris, where nothing is impossible. And it were as well to lose a spy first as last. And his mind could not be at ease with respect to Roddy, thanks to de Morbihan's gasconade in the presence of the detective, and also that hint which the Count had dropped concerning some fatal blunder in the course of Lanyard's British campaign. The adventurer could recall leaving no step uncovered. Indeed, he had prided himself on conducting his operations with a degree of circumspection unusually thoroughgoing, even for him. Yet he was unable to rid himself of those misgivings roused by de Morbihan's declaration that the theft of the ombre jewels had been accomplished only at cost of a clue to the thief's identity. Now the Count's positive information concerning the robbery proved that the news thereof had anticipated the arrival of his perpetrator in Paris. Yet Roddy unquestionably had known nothing of it prior to its mention in his presence after dinner, or else the detective was a finer actor than Lanyard credited. But how could de Morbihan have come by his news? Lanyard was really and deeply perturbed. Pestered to distraction by such thoughts, he fitted key to latch and quietly let himself into his flat by a private street entrance which, in addition to the usual door opening on the court and under the eye of the concierge, distinguished this from the ordinary Parisian apartment and rendered it doubly suited to the adventurer's uses. Then he turned on the lights and moved quickly from room to room of the three comprising his quarters, with comprehensive glances reviewing their condition. But, indeed, he hadn't left the reception hall for the salon without recognizing that things were in no respect as they ought to be. A hat he had left on the hall rack had been moved to another peg. A chair had been shifted six inches from its ordained position, and the door of a clothes press, which he had locked upon leaving, now stood ajar. Furthermore, the state of the salon, which he had furnished as a lounge and study, and of the tiny dining room and the bedchamber adjoining, bore out these testimonies to the fact that alien hands had thoroughly ransacked the apartment, leaving no square inch unscrutinized. Yet the proprietor missed nothing. His rooms were a private gallery of valuable paintings and antique furniture to poison with envy the mind of any collector, and housed into the bargain a small museum of rare books, manuscripts, and articles of exquisite workmanship whose individuality, apart from intrinsic worth, rendered them priceless. A burglar of discrimination might have carried off in one coat pocket loot enough to foot the bill for a twelve-month of profligate existence. But nothing had been removed, nothing at least that was apparent in the first tour of inspection, which, if sweeping, was by no means superficial. 
Before checking off more elaborately his mental inventory, Lanyard turned attention to the protective device, a simple but exhaustive system of burglar alarm wiring, so contrived that any attempt to enter the apartment save by means of a key which fitted both doors and of which no duplicate existed would alarm both the concierge and the burglar protective society, though it seemed to have been in no way tampered with, to test the apparatus he opened a window on the court. The lodge of the concierge was within earshot. If the alarm had been in good order, Lanyard could have heard the bell from his window. He heard nothing. With a shrug, he shut the window. He knew well, none better, how such protection could be rendered valueless by a thoughtful and forehanded housebreaker. Returning to the salon, where the main body of his collection was assembled, he moved slowly from object to object, ticking off items and noting their condition, with the sole result of justifying his first conclusion, that whereas nothing had escaped handling, nothing had been removed. By way of a final test, he opened his desk, of which the lock had been deftly picked, and went through its pigeonholes. His scanty correspondence, consisting chiefly of letters exchanged with art dealers, had been scrutinized and replaced carelessly, in disorder, and here again he missed nothing. But in the end, removing a small drawer and inserting a hand in its socket, he dislodged a rack of pigeonholes and exposed the secret cabinet that is almost inevitably an attribute of such pieces of period furniture. A shallow box. This secret space contained one thing only, but that one of considerable value being the leather billfold in which the adventurer kept a store of ready money against emergencies. It was mostly for this, indeed, that he had come to his apartment, his London campaign having demanded an expenditure far beyond his calculations, so that he had landed in Paris with less than one hundred francs in pocket. And Lanyard, for all his pride of spirit, acknowledged one haunting fear, that of finding himself strapped in the face of emergency. The fold yielded up its hoard to a sou. Lanyard counted out five notes of one thousand francs and ten of twenty pounds, their sum upwards of two thousand dollars. But if nothing had been abstracted, something had been added. The back of one of the Bank of England notes had been used as a blank for memorandum. Lanyard spread it out and studied it attentively. The handwriting had been traced with no discernible attempt at disguise, but it was quite strange to him. The pen employed had been one of those needle-pointed nibs so popular in France. The hand was that of an educated Frenchman. The import of the memorandum translated substantially as follows. To the lone wolf, the pack sends greetings, and extends its invitation to participate in the benefits of its fraternity. One awaits him always at Abbe Tillemay. A date was added, the date of that very day. Deliberately, having conned this communication, Lanyard produced a cigarette case, selected a cigarette, found his briquette, struck a light, twisted the note of twenty pounds into a rude spill, set it afire, lighted his cigarette therefrom, and, rising, conveyed the burning paper to a cold and empty fireplace wherein he had permitted it to burn to a crisp black ash. When this was done, his smile broke through his clouding scowl. Well, my friend, he apostrophized the author of that document which now could never prove incriminating, at all events, I have you to thank for a new sensation. It has long been my ambition to feel warranted in writing a cigarette with a twenty-pound note if the whim should ever seize me. His smile faded slowly. The frown replaced it. Something far more valuable to him than a hundred dollars had just gone up in smoke. End of chapter 6 Recording by Todd